Hi, everyone. This is Glenn Keane, and you are listening to the Animation Attic podcast with the Rotoscopers. They are awesome. You're listening to the Animation Addicts podcast with the Rotoscopers, episode 168, Pocahontas. It's the magical leaves. Welcome to the Animation Addicts podcast with the Rotoscopers, Disney, DreamWorks, Pixar, Don Bluth, and everything in between. I'm your host, Morgan Stradley, joined by my amazing, beautiful co-host, Chelsea Robson. Say hello. Hello. I have a very, like, Janis Joplin-type sound going right now, because... I'm getting over being sick, but hey, it sounds very seductress, right? Just yes. tell me that. <laughs> the, the listeners will never be able to say again that we sound the same because you are about an octave lower than I am, so there we go. <laughs> that's, that's why I did it, just for the podcast. So for those of you who are new to our show, the Animation Addicts Podcast is a podcast all about the wide world of animation. And when I say all about, I mean mostly movies. We review a film, Past or Present, and we are going back in time to 1995 to talk about Pocahontas, which is really exciting. It's been one of the most requested movies that we review. We just haven't really gotten around to it. There's so many great, amazing movies that, you know, today is the day. So I hope everyone is excited because I absolutely love this movie. And before we do, I want to give a quick patron shout-out to Katie P., who was one of the newest patrons who joined us in the month of March. So welcome, Katie. And with that, let's jump right into it. All right. So most of today's information is going to be coming from Box Office Mojo, IMDb, Wikipedia, and the interwebs. Um, The studio was Walt Disney Feature Animation. It was the 33rd Disney animated feature film, and it was directed by Mike Gabriel and Eric Goldberg. Was this the first time that Eric took the helm of... Yes, it was. First and last. (laughs) First and last. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it was released in June 23rd of 1995, but actually it was timed with Pocahontas's 400th birthday. Um, a couple of weeks prior, they had playing on only six selected theaters uh, on June 16th. So they're like, uh, we don't, we still think June 23rd is the better week. So we're going to stick with that, but we still want to be able to take advantage of the fact that we are timing this with Pocahontas's fourth 400th birthday oh, of course so, that marketing synergy just so you can that. say that you did it it's nice <laughs> we are the real brady bros brady brothers from the tv show brady bunch i'm barry williams and i'm christopher knight i played greg and uh who were you again i played peter We've decided that we're going to do a podcast around episodes of The Brady Bunch. We're going to use it as a prism to look back to our experience doing the show and why The Brady Bunch is still popular. Have a sunshine day. We are The Real Brady Bros. The budget was $55 million and box office revenue brought in $346.1 million. 
which is not too shabby. I I must say, you know, this film is kind of considered to be not as successful as the previous ones. I mean, it was the beginning of the Renaissance in the early 90s, so you had Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Lion King, hit, 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 and then there was Pocahontas, which was still quite good at $346.1 million, but it just wasn't quite the caliber and the level of those other ones as far as the quality of the film and, and how people resonated with it and then how much it made, which, I mean, personally, today, even $346 million is still, I think, pretty darn darn Yeah, you know, especially, I mean, made, when especially when your budget is only $55 million, it's like, huh, we made some change. That's good. Yeah, right? <laughs> We'll we made our budget back five, six times, so Seven. hey. See, okay, let's just go into our, our first recollections of this film. We were born, you know, smack dab right before the, the Renaissance hit, and so we, like, experienced the Renaissance firsthand. I had only known hits in my lifetime, so it was just boom, 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 one after the other. And so when I went into Pocahontas... Like, I wanted to love this film. And that's the thing. Like, I, I really wanted to just be all about the music, be all about the characters, be all about everything. And I think because of that, like, I just, I was like, yeah, I kind of like, I liked it, didn't I? Why didn't I like this as much? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was like 10 years old-ish. And so I was just like, man, what, what in the world was the difference? And that's kind of where I stood with this, I was like, I did not like Pocahontas as much as, say, Lion King. And that's basically everybody was like, it wasn't as good as Lion King. And that's that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so for me, I likewise, you know, this was, Disney was having hit after hit after hit, and you expected greatness. You know, this was the time period where they would release a clip of the film as part of its trailer nearly a year in advance. So as you're seeing the previous one, so I remember when I saw Lion King, the trailer for this was just Colors of the Wind. They just played Colors of the Wind as the the trailer for Pocahontas. And there were some scenes that weren't necessarily done, and I thought that was super cool because you got to see you know, some rough sketches and whatnot. And then, of course, you know, they're trying to get you in with the music and it's amazing and beautiful. And so how could you not have been pumped for Pocahontas? Right. So me, I remember going in and just wanting and loving everything about this movie. And for the most part, I still really liked it just as much as the others. I mean, I had the Pocahontas dolls. I had Pocahontas, Nakoma, Cocoaum, and John Smith. <laughs> and Classy. Yes. Um, I also, you know, had the cassette tape to listen to. Um, bef before the film came out, or, I'd be, or after, there was some sort of magazine, and I remember my cousin had it, and it had, like, behind the scenes. And I remember reading that and seeing this concept art, and this was kind of like the first time I'd ever really been introduced to concept art and, and unused concept art. I remember reading that, you know, Pocahontas was originally supposed to have a, a turkey as her sidekick to make it a little bit more realistic, but ultimately got cut. So... Those are kind of my key memories of Pocahontas. That being said, I wasn't like you where I was like, mm, I wanted to like it, but I didn't. I mean, I really still loved Pocahontas uh, after I saw it. Okay. Well, there you go. The history behind this film is interesting because, you know, after Beauty and the Beast, 
It was huge. It was unprecedented. It was nominated for Academy Award Best Picture. And so they're just like, you know what? We really, really want to do that again. Obviously, who wouldn't want to be, you know, to follow that whatever formula that they had and to be able to be nominated again. And so Jeffrey Katzenberg, he was like, you know what? Aladdin and The Lion King are too far into it to really get the the um, formula down. So this, whatever we do next, we're going to, that's what we're going to do. And Pocahontas was the next one. And it's like, yes, this looks like a really promising candidate. And so they basically said, uh, mm, she's 10 years old. Let's make her older. Uh, John <laughs> Smith, he's old. Uh, let's make him younger and kind of a hunk, you know? And yeah, let's, let's, you know, make all, let's, instead of doing, Let's be more realistic and just be more just very different from what we've already done. And but, you know, while at the same time, we're going to be exactly the same as what we've already done. <laughs> and so we're going to make the animals mute, you know, to be more realistic. And at that point, they had already gotten gold, um, Eric Goldberg on. But he had expected it to be like in Aladdin where because he, he was a charge of the genie and so he was like oh you're gonna be pulling on my strengths again and you know doing more a cartoonish type show but then they're like no <laughs> not at all <laughs> but and so he was like uh okay I don't really know about that but whatever so um at that point in time like they there was actually you know ongoing riots in Los Angeles um and uh, basically due to racism, things like that. And so he thought, you know what, I'm going to do something that will hopefully make a difference in what is going on around us. You know, and I, so I was like, Hey, so that's what they were. They're like, yeah, let's make Pocahontas that, you know, to be the difference maker, I guess. Um, but the thing is like, he, I think bit off a little bit more than he wanted to chew because there was just so much because they were, they really wanted to make this something quote unquote special. They were doing all that they can to, and throwing it through every different, you know, executive branch that they could. And, you know, there were so many executives in there that like, I even saw that Goldberg was like, uh, I'd rather like keep my sanity and work under Chuck Jones productions for a while until you guys figure stuff out. And so even like he was working under a pseudonym during that time because he was just like couldn't take it. I was like, oh, man. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, Eric. this this Eisner era, this is kind of where it's starting to peak or we're hearing more about it. You can read all about it in Disney War, which is a fantastic book about, really was, you yeah. know, this Eisner era. But yeah, those darn executives, they just need to keep their thumbs out of our pies. <laughs> but they they really wanted to make this something special and they did they they did it was the largest premiere in history and so on june 10th 2000 or 1995 they did it in central park followed with a live performance from vanessa williams you know you had a hundred thousand people there <laughs> it was just it's crazy like crazy numbers. This is just going to show how Disney just was riding this wave. And every single film during this early Renaissance era was just expected to top the previous. Yeah. They were so high on themselves that, of course, yeah. we're going to do 100,000 people in Central Park to host the premiere of our film. And, of course, it's going to be a success. And, of course, you're going to love it. Yeah. So, you know, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> 
So when we actually get into watching it this time, I, you know, it was really funny. I did not even remember the whole, you know, John Smith saves Thomas during the storm part. Mm -hmm. I kind of even pick like, for me, the movie doesn't start until you actually get to the new world and you see Pocahontas. Uh huh. Like, yeah, I, I didn't even realize that was still there. I was like, oh, wait, do I remember this part or not? I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, it is interesting because it doesn't, the movie is called Pocahontas, but we start with John Smith and how, you know, he and his crew start making their way toward Pocahontas. And it's actually quite a lengthy scene. It's the Virginia Company song. It's 1507. Do, 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 do. You know, just hearing that, I love the music in this. I think it's it's all quite good. But yeah, we spend a lot of time introducing those characters, setting up who our secondary characters are. You know, there's John Smith and Radcliffe, who I think are the main ones. But then, you know, the secondary characters of Thomas, who's going to play a role later on. So we have to kind of put him in in key places. And... Yeah, so we, we, we set up that narrative, and then we move over to the new world, as it's called. I just want to say first off that I'm really glad that the boats that I am used to riding are called cruise ships, because I realize I'm like, I would die so quickly in this time period. <laughs> there is no way I would make it. I'm like, there's so much like chaos. The water is scary. Like, oh, I, right. No. Right, and with today we have so much more technology and advanced warning of when storms are coming, where we can kind of avoid things like that. But with this, I mean, obviously they would pay attention to weather patterns the best they could, but it's just off you go, and good luck. You better not hit a storm that's going to capsize your ship or lose half your crew. Uh, so luckily there were no fatalities, because that would be too sad. I mean, if they wanted to make <laughs> it serious and mature, it's like, let's lose half our crew from the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just kill somebody off right kill at the all. beginning. Yes. <laughs> That'll teach them. <laughs> so we get into the part where you, you start meeting Pocahontas, and she's up on that tall cliff as she's been She's a dreamer. An adventurer. Yeah, she's the dreamer, the adventurer. And the whole fact that she dives like 200 feet is nothing. No big deal. She's also a world-class Olympic platform diver <laughs> right pre-olympics she was representing usa way before usa was even a thing <laughs> yeah we need her on our team thank you seriously i know and that's the thing is they're they're trying to make this movie very serious and mature and realistic but then they have these cartoonish or kind of out there elements that i, I could see how it would draw people away like i really feel that Okay, just because you're making the char the side characters mute, the side characters are just as bad, I guess. I mean, they're, these are pretty tame, but at the same time, they do some really kooky things. Like in this very first scene with Flit and Miko, where you know Flit sees the target of Miko's tail, and he's, he's really mad at him, and so he zooms toward him and, and tries to hit him in the butt. And, you know, just things like that that... Of course, you got to do it for the kids. You got to have something there. You can't make it too serious because they're going to fall asleep or get bored or, you know, throw popcorn everywhere. But <laughs> so, you know, you have these sidekick antics definitely from the beginning, which aren't aren't too bad. I must say, like, I don't feel like it's too distracting, except for later on when Percy becomes like this tree monster 
it's Percy and Miko. Um, <laughs> right, right. It's just, it, it's borderline silly. Like, well, what am I talking about? Then there's, like, then we have Percy who's in this tub eating cherries. It's, it is uh, a little bit silly. <laughs> well, and I think that's the thing. They didn't choose a direction. And it's kind of like how they kind of, Disney just kind of does this. Like, they did it with Hunchback as well. You know, where Hunchback, it's this super serious um, Oh, even more source. so. Yeah. yeah, like source. But even then, I was like, uh, I think I liked Hunchback better than I did Pocahontas. Even though, yeah, I wouldn't, I mean, I'm not a big fan of the gargoyles and all, but in general, I felt like everything else was pretty believable and, like, in its place. Yeah. This one, I don't think that they were... The the story itself wasn't compelling enough for me, I think. Mm-hmm. Totally. Like, the stakes didn't seem high enough at the beginning. Right. Well, and it's it's this story that's based on reality to an extent, you know, that, but it's completely changed and morphed and Disney-ified, you know? Right. And, and that's kind of a hard place that they're in because this is a historical character. And so just because someone existed in real life does not mean that you have to portray their story Accurately, We see this all the time with different shows. You know, for example, you know, one that I've been watching recently is called The Crown. It's about oh, yeah. Queen Elizabeth. And yes, elements are true and like key scenes are true. But then it's up to the filmmaker's discretion to, hey, well, this happened behind closed doors. Well, I get to make up the, the dialogue and the narrative. Right. And that's totally different because they didn't just, I mean totally change things around like they do with Pocahontas, like age her up, age him down, make a romance, this and that, you know? Right. And, <laughs> but there was definitely, and there is a subset of people that are just very upset that it wasn't, uh, I guess, more true to the character. And yeah. when I say character, I mean the actual person. Um, right. But, you know, I, with any, any piece of work of, of art, and, and especially this one, I understand that, yes, Pocahontas was a real person. I can study and learn about her and be very well informed about her and, and learn a ton, you know. But this movie is a movie about some ideas of this yeah. time and this character. And I need to take that for face value and, and go from there. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's kind of like today, speaking specifically of today's movies, um, you look at The Greatest Showman, which came out a couple like four months ago mm-hmm. at the time of this recording. And it's, you know, been huge as far as like fans have just loved it. But then there were all these types of things on the internet saying like, oh, uh, it was completely untrue, the portrayal of, of P.T. Barnum. And he was, he was such a rascal and a scallywag. I, I heard there's a lot of, obviously. Uh-huh. <laughs> but they, but at the same time, like audiences don't, didn't really care. Like, I Here's the care. thing. It was like, it was the good foundation of a story and maybe the actual story wasn't that great. So we spiffed it up a little bit, right. you know, as long as you don't call it true to narrative, right. <laughs> See, this is, it's not a docu pic. No, exactly. Then, then go for it. You know, it made a lot of people happy. A lot of people <laughs> right. love that soundtrack. A lot of people do, including myself. Speaking of soundtracks, let's go back to Pocahontas. Ooh, yes. Our favorites, Mr. Alan Menken and Stephen Schwartz. Oh, my goodness. Good guys. I love this duo. This duo just, they just have made so many amazing things. Um, 
the very first song that we really hear from Pocahontas is the song just around the river bend. And you have her first off her dad comes home, like she comes home and her dad's like, Hey, guess what? You know, Coco, I'm as asked for your hand in marriage. Like, Oh, that is <laughs> so serious. I love that scene where they look at him and he's just standing with his hands on his hips and the children are just kind of jumping up around him. And he's like, I'm going to ignore that this is happening. <laughs> oh, Go away, man. children. <laughs> and he, so he's just like, oh, but you should definitely choose the smoothest course. That's what makes rivers last so long. And I'm thinking that seems like a very lazy choice. Like, Basically the opposite of what you really should be telling kids. Like, take the easy way out, kids. That way you'll well, get out of... that's not what he <laughs> means. <laughs> that's what it sounded like. <laughs> he was saying, well, so I could see from... I could see your perspective, for sure. You know, because trails are not blazed by, uh, you know, staying on the existing trails. Any dead you, fish can float downstream. You need to Come go and create new trails, definitely. But at the same time... There's a lot of things in life where the trail that's already been set is the best and the safest. And there's really sure. no reason for you to go out and try to make your own way and explore your own paths because others have tried and failed. And, you know, there, there's reasons why that don't work. And, and, and the, an easy analogy is like drugs. You know, right. you could go down the path of not using drugs and that's the safest path. And that's a good path. Or you could try experimenting with drugs and see where that takes you probably not a good place you know what i mean so but but then on the flip side yes there are times where you need to be a trailblazer you need to go out and and make something and that's kind of what she sings about in this song is that yeah i could do the smoothest thing but that's no fun that's not me because cocoam is an easy path i mean he's basically laid out this marriage is laid out on a platter for her. All she has to do is say yes, and boom, you know, they're going to have this life together. But is that truly the life that she wants? Because he's the total polar opposite of her. Right. right? Like, he's a good guy, and he's an amazing leader for this community, but he's just not Pocahontas. Not, not vibing well, too well. And I, and I totally understand. I just am just laughing at the fact that they're like, oh, take the smoothest course, kids. <laughs> But and I, I get it because there's also the fact of like, OK, yeah, when you watch the splinter off section of a river, generally that splinter off thing gets smaller and smaller until it eventually just dies. Like not true. A lot of them. <laughs> I'm like and, sometimes you know, they splinter take... off because it ends up being the better course and the other one dies. Well, okay, we could go along talking about metaphorical riverbeds. <laughs> <laughs> What's funny is that this song actually almost didn't make it into the film. Um, they, the people at Disney, the executives, doubted whether the song was like would have the right impact that they wanted. But Stephen Schwartz was just like, uh, "I believe very strongly in this, and I believe that this is the." I want song. This is the song that really explains why Pocahontas is going to say no. So let's keep it. <laughs> and eventually the Disney were like, uh, okay, I guess so. So I like just around the, right I now. love this song. I think the song is fun. I it really truly introduces us to her 
um, even more as a character. I mean, we've seen that she's kind of this rebel Native American princess who jumps off cliffs and is slightly reckless. Uh, but this allows her to express it in song, which, hey, I'll always take. Uh, there you go. <laughs> well, while we're talking about, you know, the whole thing, let's talk Cocoam. I I really like Cocoam. I, I feel too. like like the line in the song was like a handsome sturdy husband who builds handsome sturdy walls and i'm thinking can't we have both walls and adventure i would appreciate that <laughs> <laughs> i i do not mind having a handsome sturdy husband who would build a handsome sturdy wall i just we can go outside too how do you know that coco um you know he was the he was the the leader he was the the major warrior so obviously i feel like he's got some adventure in him i don't know yeah it's, it, they try to make him like the stoic boring character um but that's just really true and genuine and a good guy but i don't know i just really always kind of resonated with him and thought that he was just this great guy and then the, the ultimate end that happens to him is just that much sadder you know yeah and we'll talk about that when we get there but they they really do try to juxtapose cocoum with John Smith, who we've already met, but we'll see even more. <laughs> and he's very much like Pocahontas, an adventurer. Yeah. He's, you know, singing songs. He's climbing cliffs right up her alley. Also very foreign, you know, got to love those foreign guys. Got to love the foreigners, man. No, what's funny, though, is like she's she's like, so where do you think your home is? And he's like, ah, I don't really have a home. Da, 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 da. Well, your home could be here. And I'm just thinking, aren't you trying Wait. to like... <laughs> <laughs> You're trying to turn him into Cocoam now. You want him to build you some handsome, sturdy walls. You had <laughs> one who I... was going to do that already. <laughs> I, that's That was a problem I had. I was like, hey, you should be, like, not saying that. <laughs> but, hey, I guess if you have her kind of hair, you can get a lot. You can get away with a lot. Her hair or his hair or all of all of the characters' hair for the most I part all are, are the very hair. much hashtag hair goals because yeah. Cocoum, mm-hmm, Pocahontas, mm-hmm, and John Smith, hey, I'll take it. I'll take it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, it's funny. I have some Native American friends and this, like, this family that they, they worked with us for many years and, like, every single one of their sons has more luscious, beautiful hair than I do. And it just, like, every single time I see him, I'm like, I am so jealous of your hair. <laughs> right. It's just, like, super long and beautiful. I'm like, ugh. Thick and shiny. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, man. So, yeah, those are definitely hair goals. Glenn Keane was in charge of Pocahontas. And to give it to him, like Jeffrey Katzenberg basically said, I want you to make the most idealized and finest woman ever made. Whoa. And he was like, uh, okay. <laughs> and so they ended up going on a, on a research trip in Virginia and they ended up meeting two of the granddaughters of Pocahontas. And he said that as he was looking at both of them in their faces and as they stood there, I took a picture of both of them, he said, and between their faces was Pocahontas's face in my mind. I could see her. And I was like, that's cool. I like that. But I mean, he basically went and took people from all over to try and make the like most 
beautiful, iconic woman ever. And that's why anybody who was going to be on his team had to be fantastic at figure drawing and Mm -hmm. like a whole nother level of, of artistic supervision in that character. Yeah. Pocahontas is, is a very beautiful character. What I love about her is that she's, her body type is different than some of the other characters. I mean, you have Ariel, which is another Glenn Keane design, and she's very petite yeah. and and much smaller in figure. But Pocahontas, because she is this outdoor girl, is very athletically built, you know, broader shoulders and muscular. And I think it's just really cool, uh, her design. And, you know, they obviously take liberties with her costume, The you know, off-the-shoulder look, which, of course, is not historically accurate. But, you know, one thing, like we're talking about, this is, like, they were trying their best at the time and then took, you know, liberties. But I feel like if this movie were made now, just because so many people get an uproar over every little thing, that there would be that much more scrutiny on it. Um, Oh, yeah. But with me, I'm like, you know what? We don't need to put our ideals and the way society is today on a film from, you know, 20 years ago, 30, 40, 50 years ago, because it was just a different time. Like you can't expect, and I've said this multiple times on the podcast, you can't expect them in the past to have progressed to the level where we are today. Right. But all that aside, I I dig her clothes. (laughs) You know, clearly it's not representation. Clearly, it's not realistic. Uh, here, here's your miniskirt dress that you're going to be running around in, you know, in the coma. Here, here's the same thing with her. Here's your crop top and skirt that you're wearing. But you know what? It is what it is. You know what? Yeah. I liked him on the Barbies. I liked him on Barbies. I had the Barbie. Mm. I did. I had. Do you remember the one Barbie that like, that was like the the twirly hair? Yes, that's Miko. the one I had. You had the braiding Barbie where Miko. I would had the braiding braid Barbie. her hair. <laughs> yeah, because you were supposed to be able to like put your own hair in Miko's hands too, and he would braid your hair <laughs> because that one scene, like it was, it was so iconic in everybody's mind of like, oh, I want a you know a raccoon to braid my hair. I don't know why that would be iconic. Like, if you're looking at the reality of that, why not free servants? It's like he's not a servant; he's your friend, and he's like a girlfriend. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Miko, just hey, I'm here to braid your hair. <laughs> and, <laughs> so in the but the thing is, like this little toy that they had. First off, the hands itself would spin like in in its own circle to be able to tighten tighten each one of the you know chunks of hair that you put in it uh-huh. and then the whole body would spin around so it would hold on to its like these now tightened pieces of hair and now it would spin around itself to be able to to do the you know long you know swirly braid that goes all the way more down. of a twist rather than a yeah braid. more of a twist than a braid um but you know it's kind of difficult to do the three style like you would need three hands and you have to done. let go at some point and grab back on yeah <laughs> but yeah, I totally had it and my hair got tangled many times. So I just stopped using it. I was like, no, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This was not a... have the same aesthetic pleasure as the movie does. So no, definitely whatever. not. But they tried. <laughs> they did try. They did. Actually, it was that scene like because you mentioned that there was supposed to be a like a turkey 
as one of as her main like person or okay. her main sidekick and it was actually going to be voiced by john candy but <laughs> then they switched when they were like oh yeah he's now going to be mute and it's really hard for a turkey who has feathers to pantomime because he doesn't have thumbs or anything mm-hmm. like that so it really puts a downer on the whole turkey idea and so joe grant would later draw a sketch of the hair braiding raccoon and then Glenn Keane animated it. And then all the directors were like, they love the idea. Let's get rid of the turkey and add the <laughs> raccoon. And so it just became Miko was created because, you know, first off, they like raccoons, they have this like naturally enigmatic like look and feel. And because they have little hands and their little masks over their eyes, they're like little thieves. So they can be mischievous and all this type of stuff. In reality, you should not make friends with raccoons. I'm just going to put that out there because they can be vicious. And we had a couple get on our property and it basically got in a, my dog got in a fight with it and their hands, their claws are so sharp that they like, He almost took off his nose like he had giant cuts throughout his nose for the rest of his life because of those dang raccoons. Yikes. Okay. So So, note to self, do not find myself a hair braiding raccoon friend (laughs) slash girlfriend because it's not going to go well. I'm most likely going to have no nose and little hair left after he spins like crazy. (laughs) Oh, wait, that's the toy. (laughs) Did you have any of the other toys? I mean, I had the, uh, those three Pocahontas, the four Pocahontas dolls. And I think I shared this story on the podcast where we moved to a new house. And so we did a garage sale right before. And so it'd been a few years since Pocahontas came out and I played with these dolls all the time. I loved them. And I don't know why I was trying to just like get rid of stuff, you know, you know, when you're ambitious and you're like, get rid of it all. I don't need it. And I remember putting those, um, for sale at the garage sale and some guy like within the very first few minutes walked up and took them all and bought bought them all and and went away and in in that moment I wanted to be like no just kidding I love them come back (laughs) I want them back so I actually went back and he only bought the Pocahontas and the Cocoaum for some reason Um, or maybe he bought the John's Maybe maybe about the John Smith too, but a few years ago, like I was still very nostalgic for these dolls. I wanted them, so I went on eBay and bought the Pocahontas and Coco and back. What? <laughs> like no joke. This was this happened within the past seven years or something. So <laughs> yeah, don't give up your sweet toys because you'll miss them. <laughs> I also we we had like a lot of the you know McDonald's toys who didn't. But we also had these cups that were plastic and they were of each one of the characters' faces. And it was like molded out, like Miko's face would pop out. And then there was a Pocahontas and John Smith. Those were weird cups. I was glad to see those go. Uh, but as far as any <laughs> other toys, oh, um, well, at this point in time, I'd also started collecting some of the Disney ceramics that you could buy mm-hmm. at the Disney store. So I had this beautiful Pocahontas. And I had Miko and Flit um, that I had on my collection. I had a shelf on my wall. And when we moved, my sister put up the shelf and, with the Pocahontas on it. And, and all, I put all my things on it. And it wasn't set up properly, so it broke. And no. Pocahontas broke in half. And I was just totally devastated. And Miko was fine. And Flit, his nose cracked off, which his nose is like basically a long 
twig. And so right. they glued it back, but he still has, like, a piece of paint missing. And my mom felt so bad. She went to this, like, collectible shop in the mall and got me this, like, really beautiful Pocahontas sitting oh, on wow. um, Grandmother Willow. Like, it was not, like, the full Grandmother Willow, but it's just, like, a, a circle of a tree stump. sitting with the compass in her hand and it was a significant upgrade from what I had (laughs) mine was probably about $20 and that one was probably a couple hundred but I still have that Um, it doesn't really go with the vibe of my house I'm not a big Disney merchandise display slash collector I guess so I have it and I'm just kind of trying to figure out like how do you how do you display this one thing this one Pocahontas statue but (laughs) I definitely had those and yeah folks i was like all in for pocahontas at this point in time it was just like could not get enough of any of it <laughs> see and uh, and i like talking to you about this because you know there's so many people that aren't and uh-huh. i'm one of the people that isn't you know uh-huh. so it's like it's cool to see like what exactly was it about pocahontas that you were so into i think it to be honest it was more just general Disney excitement like the movie wasn't that bad to me and I actually really just enjoyed the movie it was just like another concept new characters and it's like I went in wanting to love it and did love it I, I can't really like pinpoint pinpoint a specific thing I think it was just like continued Disney hysteria building upon itself which yeah. ultimately cracked at Atlantis. Atlantis was the real film that came out that was just so bad I couldn't even pretend to Aww. like it anymore. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, I can appreciate it today, but it just wasn't, you know, even me could not justify Atlantis. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot justify this. <laughs> well, the other thing that Disney is known for, for this one specifically, was the soundtrack. You always had the better you know, Disney playlist than I did. So out of this one, what are the songs that you would always slash never skip? Okay. Well, uh, I would listen to Virginia company, but I would, I would skip it occasionally. Um, just around, just around the river bend is an always listen. Uh, there's the grandmother Willow songs. Listen with your heart. You will understand. Let it sweep above you like the blah blah blah. Uh, that's a skip, <laughs> along with the, <laughs> the reprise later. Um, mine, mine, mine. I always listened to. I thought that was uh-huh. very catchy and always enjoyed that one and listened to that one. Colors of the Wind, classic. Can't get can't go wrong. And then Savages, for the most part, I would always listen to. I also really liked the. Um, Steady as the Beating Drum, which is like the main title, and it's yeah. uh, her, her, her people singing. I think that's cool, but those are kind of skip. Like, Grandmother Willow song, that first initial song, the Steady as the Beating Drum, Virginia Company. So kind of skip skips, you know? Yeah. I would listen to Just Around the Riverbend, Mine, 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 and Savages. Mm-hmm. Colors of the Wind, it was like a give and take. Had to I be the right I liked mood. it, but it wasn't like... <laughs> My fave, right? Right. I, I can see that. Overall, I think a very good score. Yeah. I think it's pretty cohesive. It's different. It's very unique to this film, but still feels very classic, you know, Disney at this time. Mm-hmm. It sold really well. Obviously, it got triple, uh, it got triple platinum certification, 
which just is a different time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 1995 is the time when, you know, people actually got those certifications pretty easily. Right. Uh, Relatively, right? Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, like The Greatest Showman just hit a single platinum and that's like a huge deal. Right. Yeah. I mean, with everything on demand nowadays, it's, there really is no point in purchasing music unless you really, really love it. You know, and I think so many people absolutely just love The Greatest Showman that they're going out and actively buying those soundtracks uh, while there's still going to be a subset of people who are just going to stream it on YouTube or whatever, you know, streaming device or platform they want. But with this back in the time, if you wanted to listen to it, especially this thing, you can't go to the radio. They're not playing right. savages, savages on your local, you know, pop radio station. This <laughs> is not going to happen. You know, so you actually had to go out and buy. And I had the the cassette tape, but I'm sure, you know, CD. And you had to go buy those and, and really indicate that this is something important to me that I want to purchase and listen to. And so, yeah, I mean, that's one of the reasons why... Michael Jackson's Thriller is one of still to this day the greatest selling album of all time because one there weren't so many there weren't so many options where now there's so many genres and subgenres and all these different artists and independent artists like before it was just the big the big people you know right and then there was really only one way to listen to your music which was you had to buy it Uh, yeah so I don't Imagine there ever being anyone topping that again because the market's so fragmented. The barrier to entry is so low now comparatively that you are getting a lot more variety. You know, then it was like you couldn't get that much variety back then just because the barrier to entry was so high. Yeah, it's whatever the music executives said was going to be good and a hit is what you got and you had to choose from that. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm a much bigger fan of how it works nowadays, how it's a, definitely a lot more in the fans and in the like independent musician world's favor. But it's just interesting to see like, yeah, this was a time when in order to get that type of success, that level of money, you really had to come in at a certain time in history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But. So triple, triple platinum, not too shabby. I feel like most recent you know, success for that has been Moana and Frozen for Disney. I still feel yeah. that when peop- when Disney comes out with great scores and soundtracks for their films, people will still go actively to purchase those. Yes. So, you know, Disney is in a good place if they still continue to do mu- movie musicals, which I don't see them changing anytime soon. But we'll see how Frozen 2 does. We'll see. Okay, so we've talked a little bit about the music. You know, now this is where these two worlds combine. The, I call them foreigners, but they're really, you know, the Englishmen. They come, and they are beginning to settle on this new world. And then there's the people who've already been here. And they aren't really too aware of each other's existence at this point. But then slowly it starts happening, and Pocahontas is peeking through the bushes... John Smith is exploring. I really think one of the most iconic scenes is when Pocahontas comes out, you know, from the waterfall and stands up and there's just all this mist around her and it's windy and her hair is blowing and he just is in awe of what he is seeing in front of him, which, you know, the world's most iconic woman. Yes, exactly. (laughs) 
I'm I'm not bad. I'm just drawn that way. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You know, so then we have these two where, which are kind of the representations of these two different worlds. And we start seeing them interact because she's very curious and wants to explore and learn about this new man and culture. And he's very open to it. Um, but there's that whole issue about understanding each other, and we don't want to waste too much time figuring that all, all that out. That's just messy and confusing. Doesn't make for a good movie. So you know, just the magic of the wind. The magic of the wind makes us so that we understand each other. <laughs> Snap your fingers, <laughs> and woo! it's like woo! at the very right. po- point when they meet, and he's just like, "You don't understand the thing that I'm saying, do you?" And I'm thinking, "What the." You expect her to understand English? You're from Europe, dude. Right. You know not everyone speaks English. You're not like the modern American who just thinks everybody should. Well, why don't you? Everybody else does. Right. Like, like, what the heck? So, Ignoramus. yeah, she's just like, you know, starting speaking her native tongue. And then all of a sudden, the wind blows. And, oh, great. Now I can understand you. Oh, good. All now. right. So back to business. <laughs> How are you? How are you? What's your name? Yeah, that's that's always been something that's been very much criticized of this movie. But I mean, I I say, well, how old could you do it? I, obviously, there's ways that you can do it. They can communicate, and, and that's what happened, you know, in real yeah. life. But you know, it doesn't make for great dialogue. You know, when you have one speaking. Oh, add an extra scene that we just don't really need. <laughs> so you know, magic, magic of beliefs, perfect. And then jumps into the point where he just talks. Oh yeah. I'd love to see all of that. Oh, you will. We're going to build it right here. It's going to be great. (laughs) She's like, our houses are fine. Uh, You only think that because you don't even know any better. (laughs) And I'm thinking, he's right. Indoor plumbing. It's going to be big. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But, you know, we definitely see the, the different attitudes towards the settlers where they just kind of assume that because of who they are and for one reason or another, their way is the best way and we're just going to take over and plow it's the modern american like ideals basically right right. which seems awkward because they're not american she's the real american there (laughs) (laughs) it was a different time it was a different time Uh, the british i blame the british you know we haven't really talked about uh, governor ratcliffe very much Oh, that's true. And I love him. I think he's just this great character because his motives are very clear. It's from the very beginning. We understand, you know, this this probably isn't the best guy. He's the leader. He's the almost the aristocrat who's in charge, but not really because he's not he's not royalty, but he's definitely trying to get there. He's the governor. So, you know, he has some sort of political power and authority. But I just love his design. He's wearing purple that he's just so pompous and huge this pickle yeah. giant tummy and, <laughs> and then we have him you know juxtaposed with wiggins who is about as skinny and shrimpy as they come ah yeah. we never change yeah and we go into a song and i just love that song we kind of talked a little bit about it um mine mine yeah but it's fun it, it's fun <laughs> it's over the top it because it's in song form they can get away with a lot of the things that they're doing just <laughs> The, the explosions and the giant piles and people dig, 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 dig. You know, it's, it's very kind of Broadway. Yeah. Uh, but then, you know, we see even more of his motives where he's um, my arrival back home, you know, and he's dreaming of they'll see how I glitter and uh, basically how he'll he'll knight me. No, Lord, me. 
<laughs> he just has these delusions of grandeur where he wants the gold because he, he it gives power and he just wants it so badly. So we're definitely seeing where he's coming from. You know, this was during the 90s, so it was definitely the environmentalists. You know, this was Captain Planet era, right, where it was all about saving the environment. And so, you know, we could see that mindset of him destroying the environment, you know, coming to this new place and just tearing it up and destroying it, how that definitely is not going to be looked well upon by the audience or by the people who are here who have who treat the earth with such respect and care right so well and then it's like you know why they attacked us right because we laid waste to all their land and everything that they have (laughs) no (laughs) they want to steal our gold (laughs) yes of course well that kind of like leads us also into you know the, the song color of the wind and this song like i said it's one of those songs that i like on a good day, I like it, and on another day, I'll I'll skip it. You know, it's mm-hmm. like back and forth. But I will, even though I said that, I will say that I am hippie enough to believe the sentiments in the song. <laughs> like I do believe that everything does have like a spirit and has uh-huh. an essence. Uh-huh. You know, so like I don't I I get everything that they're trying to get out of this song. So it's not like I'm one of those people that's like like bleh, they're just trying to turn me into a. A natural person. I, I don't know. No, Whatever. it's perfect because, you know, it helps to show uh, Pocahontas and her people's point of view and how they treat yeah. things versus what we just saw with Ratcliffe. And he does, couldn't care less about the dirt and the trees and the animals. And it's really just a, a very beautiful scene. You know, I even love that, that very first. There's that one scene where in the song, you know, there's the bear and immediately John Smith is like going to shoot it. Like, right. whoa, there's there's really no need to do that. Uh, and Pocahontas, like, puts her hand and kind of leads him a different way. So she's teaching him this new way of life, not necessarily to force him to believe it, but to say, hey, there's this other way, and this is what we're about. And right. your way isn't necessarily, you know, your way or the highway. How about you take a look through our shoes and see things the way we see them? And it's really this beautiful scene. Uh, I love the colors, how they switch during this this scene where it it's very vibrant and there's lots of purples and pinks and oranges and um overall it's just a really beautifully done scene yeah michael giamo was the animation director for the film and we actually got to meet him uh he was the art director for frozen as well Mm. and so i was really i wish i would have like put two and two together when i like knew him when i like was meeting him because like we were new don't 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 judge us (laughs) It was like in the very beginning of our podcasting years, our very beginning of like actually digging in and knowing who people were. And I hadn't put those two together. But then later on, as I'm reading so many art books and reading all these different things, I'm like, oh, my gosh, Michael Giamo is so great. Right. (laughs) But we got to meet him. And, you know, I was reading it that he took a lot of his inspiration for this film from the works like Ivan Earl, who worked on Sleeping Beauty, and also Mary Blair. He's a big Mary Blair fan, obviously. Everybody is. Mm-hmm. But I just really appreciated everything that he brought to, especially this sequence. I think more than others, he had more of a hand in, maybe. But um, all throughout the film, just it was a beautiful film. Right. I believe he, I don't know if he was the art director for Pocahontas, but or, or just in the art department. But I remember when we were talking to him, he talked about how he was so excited to be on Pocahontas because that was really seen as like the big project. 
and right. the big hit, you know? And, and then I, I kind of feel that his sentiments were actually that it didn't end up, you know, because the movie wasn't received as well, it wasn't, uh, it was still an amazing experience, but Frozen, you know, just was world's. Oh, more extremely different. What uh, he was really looking for, and he was able to contribute a lot to that. But very cool. Yeah. So there was this time long ago. Now Morgan has always been a fan of this movie, and there was this time where we went to girls' camp, and they had this thing where they were going to be doing like the colors of the wind and like uh, this whole like play, mm-hmm. and Morgan got chosen to be the chief. Mm-hmm. during this play and I just remember her doing such a great job of being <laughs> stoic and very Coco Um-esque yes. as she is the the chief Morgan master of ceremonies <laughs> almost masters <laughs> you were that's really what it was uh, I think I have that on I think I have that recorded on oh, like really? a DVD somewhere I should upload it to YouTube for the patrons you should yeah <laughs> <laughs> it was a lot of work. There were a lot of lines to memorize. And then we, we all sang Colors of the Wind and had to memorize it uh, in sign language. Yeah. So, and then I was always front and center. It was good times. Yeah. Very good times. <laughs> and I reveled, reveled in being chosen. <laughs> I know you did. That's why I'm bringing it up right now so you can revel in it once again. Ah, uh, yes. Good times. <laughs> so going back... We've just done Colors of the Wind, and we did mention, you know, that is a very impressive wind that (laughs) came around. Basically, they kind of tried to, like, every time the wind blows, it is her mother. And the thing is, like, Michael Eisner was really pushing to give Pocahontas a mother because he was always saying, we're always getting fried for having no mothers. (laughs) (laughs) So the writers wanted to, like, have some type of, like, you know, mother sentiment but then the writers countered. I saw this on Wikipedia, so you know this is just what I'm reading off of Wikipedia. But it said that the writers countered that Powhatan was a polygamist, formed dynastic alliances among their other neighboring tribes by impregnating a local woman and giving away the child. So it was believed that Pocahontas herself probably didn't have like that much of her mother in her life. And then Eisner was like, "Well, that means we get toasted either way." <laughs> What? So this makes no sense. Okay, so he's he's very he's polygamous, and so he you know has no he has multiple people in his life. And, but this doesn't make sense. Like, oh, because he was that way, she doesn't get to see her mother that much because since he's the dad, he's decided to take on all these children himself. Usually, it'd be the opposite way. That if you have this dad who's you know fathering multiple children from multiple women. Usually the, you don't see the dad as much, right? Right. Uh, unless they're all living in one household, which this does not indicate that was the case because they're local. If anything, he would take and, the son, right? Right. And, and so it makes no sense that she's being raised by him. And so like, too bad, you're not going to ever see your mother. It's like more than likely 99% of the time she's being raised by the mom and <laughs> probably never sees the dad. This is, wow. Pocahontas <laughs> writers, we got to talk about that because I'm glad that never came up. I mean, it doesn't come up because she's dead, but, right. <laughs> but, hmm, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's also, so we were talking about Grandmother Willow and she, you know, Katzenberg didn't want her in the film and Joe Grant was like, I, 
I really feel like we should have her in here. And so let's come up with a whole bunch of tree puns. Like, my bark is worse than my bite. Oh, no. The roots yes. of all problems. And all right. they're barking up the wrong tree. And we're going to add that to the pitch for the next morning during the story meeting so that we can actually keep her. And they come out saying, everybody loved it. They're all saying, oh, we want her in. Let's build her part bigger. All because of puns. The puns. The pun master. So obviously they just came off of Aladdin. So you've got so you've got Jafar, who's the pun master of all. So like, you know, people who are no longer working on Aladdin are still on that pun master vibe. So like, Grandmother Willow's the next pun master. <laughs> oh, good times. Uh, you know, Grandmother Willow. She's an interesting character. You know, like again, they're trying to make this a much more serious film. Then we have Grandmother Willow, who's you know, I, I guess it goes with these these characters are more in tune with spirits and nature you know so as a result maybe they're able to have this connection with this willow tree called grandmother willow who's you know able to impart wisdom and whatnot uh so you know there's that but she's not bad she's not great she kind of just exists for me yeah they wanted to like for me it was like they wanted to have a maternal figure and so let's just add this willow in there. Talking tree. Yeah. Add talking tree. <laughs> Perfect. I mean, hey, that always solves all your problems. All right. I really like Cocoam again. Mm-hmm. So we're going back. Back, this is back to Cocoam. We're, we're back to Cocoam. <laughs> back to the hunk. And he is the hunk. I think he's definitely hunkier than John Smith. I agree. And I agree. Which is kind like, of why I was always disappointed why she didn't go for him. Why she just... Yeah. Well, and also Nakoma, like, why didn't she go for him? Oh, she's she's too low on the totem pole. Yeah, that's true. He wouldn't go for her. He needs the chief's daughter, not the chief's daughter's friend. That's true. Uh, that's how it always is. <laughs> but anyway, like, I was just so sad for Kokoa every time I saw him because she, he's just like, he's he cares about Pocahontas so much. Oh yeah. And he's just like, I I just want to make sure that she's okay and. Make sure she doesn't go off because she listens to you. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, aw, you care. <laughs> I know. It is cute because you do see him being very genuine in those moments. And, you know, he, she, and her friends are kind of hiding the truth from him. And he, he just really wants to be there for her. And he really does care for her. And then we see Thomas and his subplot where he's learning to be a man. Right. You know, you, you're not really a man until you learn how to shoot a gun, basically was the thinking at the time and so he's really working on that because he's really letting people down and so we see thomas's arc and and he's uh we we feel for thomas and so you know then he learns how to shoot a gun both eyes open and then these two moments come together uh with cocoam and thomas where thomas is is trying to be a man and cocoam in theory, actually is being a man by trying to protect and save Pocahontas. Right. Well, and in his eyes, like, his girl, quote-unquote, is kissing a quote-unquote demon. Like, right. That's his, his vision, so he's going to mm-hmm. save his girl. Right. Yeah. And so. gets shot and killed. And that's really, it's not a Mufasa death moment, but it no. really is a sad moment to see him die and be taken away. And then this really brings Pocahontas back to reality. I think this whole time up until this point, she'd 
she's been doing her own thing. She's kind of spoiled in the fact she's just allowed to run around and do what she wants. And she doesn't really want to take on the responsibility of marrying Kokuam because he's not what she wants. And then she's just gallivanting in the woods, literally, with John Smith. And then when reality hits where someone close to her, you know, especially in her village, where she, I imagine she's known Kokom for a long time, you know, dies at the hands of these people, I think yeah. it wakes her up. Yeah. And, and then she kind of, in that moment, like, I get the feeling that Pocahontas realizes what she lost and and she, you could tell she she cares for Kokoam. She really did. Um, she just didn't kind of realize it at the time. You know, maybe she wasn't ready at that moment in time for Kokoam or what. I will never know. Maybe it never would have happened. But the fact that Kokoam is gone now uh, really makes it hit home. And I don't think she was necessarily she, in the Kokoam. I think that she more just like you said woke up to the to the reality of this yeah. fight. Right. And how serious every decision that she is currently making is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no indication that she's ever going to actually choose Kokoam, but uh, she wakes up and then she it truly does start siding with her people. You know, yeah. you killed him! You know, and then she goes with them as they go to bury him. And we see her more with the people at this moment in time uh, because of, of what's happened. Right. So, you know, which leads to the big savages, savages moment. Well, before and, that, it leads to the moment where, like, I have to go inside and look at the voice of, look into the eyes of the man who killed Kokolam. And the guards are like, Meh, okay, make it quick. <laughs> right. Like, but it's, but he didn't kill Kokolam. No, I know, but, like, that's how, they, that's how she gets in. I know. And I know. in that <laughs> moment is where they have this song that they cut, uh-huh. which is the If I Never Knew You song. Which is a pretty and, good song. Yeah, in and of itself, I, I think it's a pretty good song. But I am glad that they cut it. The love song was cut because as, like, they were in this test screening, and then, like, younger audiences weren't really interested. And I'm quoting, as it said, the teenagers felt giddy as it played. I was like, what? Huh? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Making suggested that the song be removed from the film. And I was just like... They felt giddy? What? <laughs> hmm. Maybe it was just, like, kind of forced. Yeah. That's yeah, what at I this, think. Yeah, at this moment, when, you know, and there are versions of the film which you can watch and see this song and new scene. I mean, they, they reanimated or, like, finished the animation for it. You can see it inserted. And it, it doesn't necessarily work because there's all this tension and almost racial tension between the natives and the, the British, right. right? And then... Oh, but I got to go talk to him because I still love him, which I get. There definitely has been this love and relationship that's been formed, but it it breaks it significantly because then we have to just go straight into savages, um, which brings it back, you know? So totally it it doesn't help because you're up and down, up and down, up and down with, um, you know, how they're trying to make us feel. And so with it removed, we're able just to focus on, okay, this is the moment where the two sides are now at war and off mm-hmm. we go. Uh, and we'd sing savages, savages, which is a, a very strong song and it, yeah. it displays the sentiments of both sides, how they both feel they're right and how they're describing the other ones definitely may not be considered PC. Uh, but that's, that's the point. Right. They just see the uh, the whole song is called Savages. They see each other 
as like demons and savages and, and not like them. Right. Uh, which ultimately we learn the, the moral of the story and, and it, it all resolves itself. And we shouldn't look at people that way, but in the moment it's very tense and the coloring and the lighting and just the way this song plays out is, is very well done. Yeah. I, I actually really like that song, that whole section, mm-hmm. just because it's like, it's so powerful and it's so like, whoa, cool. <laughs> yeah. Like you're, you finally went somewhere. It's kind of how I feel. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but it, it doesn't actually go anywhere. It just. Yeah, it doesn't. It's stopped by Pokemon. <laughs> it's just stopped. The song and itself, then, it goes somewhere. But, you know, but, she and then throws herself like, Where down. Where did those drummers come from? Like, out of nowhere, you have this little line of, like, drummers, like, drummer boys. And I'm like, have they just been, like, hanging out, waiting for their, you know, moment? Oh, it's time for the song. <laughs> Jump in line, guys. Of course. <gasps> of course. Of course, of course. You gotta have your drummers, drummers at the ready. You never know when you're gonna break out of the song. That's true. <laughs> so, you oh. know, it, it never actually comes to war because Pocahontas throws herself on John Smith right before he's gonna be clubbed to death by Powhatan. That's a very interesting thing to think if this had, had she not stepped in just in the nick of time. Like, I look at that club that he has and I'm like, that does. That does not look pretty. <laughs> no, that's going to be really ugly. Yeah, so thankfully she steps in and, you know, hopefully saves the day, but then Ratcliffe shoots and ends up wounding John Smith and making him the true bad guy at the end of the day because he shot one of his own people. And it kind of resolves, and, and some, some of the British stay, some leave, and they're going to figure out how to make this work, you know? Yeah. But ultimately... John Smith goes because he's wounded and needs to head back. And that's hard for Pocahontas because she does still love him. Um, but she kind of accepts that we're kind of, we're from two different worlds. <laughs> and this is a, I, I always felt that this was kind of bittersweet ending because it's, it's not like this big romance love resolution that you're kind of expecting with most films or stories. It's yeah, I was not really a fan of the be. fact that like nobody got a happy ending. <laughs> like it was, and just the fact that you know, you do that, everyone is like, all the critics are like, oh, I'm so glad that they like did something different and whatnot. But I'm like, mm, I like I like happy endings. Okay, I, <laughs> yes, but I do think that it kind of is really, you know, depicting the real world. I think sometimes people have these adventures in love where it's so fun and exciting, but it's not the steady course going back to that at the very beginning. You know, it's not the smoothest course. It's just really not meant to be, and it's not going to work out. Right. Uh, But sometimes you need to go on that adventure and journey to learn that. And we don't know what happens with Pocahontas. I mean, I I guess we do with the sequel. Well, I mean, she marries John Wolfe and... I know, but... (laughs) And dies of of scar fever. (laughs) Sucks to be her. (laughs) But, you know, at this point in time... Really should have stayed home. (laughs) At this point in time, it's just... We're going our separate ways. Wingapo. That's something that I I say all the time. (laughs) Wingapo. And how we say goodbye. Ah, nah. I think I like hello better. (laughs) (laughs) That's his flirting tactics, yes. But uh, I say wingapo, or I used to. Quite a bit. Wingapo, (laughs) father. But she's doing the old, ah, nah, you know, as he's leaving. And 
And of course, the wind, magical leaves, sending the message to him, and he gets the message, and off you go. So that is Pocahontas. That is Pocahontas. Well, as we talked about, like the historical accuracy of this film was probably one of the biggest things that people like knock on it. And so we'll just go through a couple of things. Like for for instance, Pocahontas's real name was Matauka, and Pocahontas was like a nickname, which can be variously translated to playful one, little brat, or the naughty one. So there you go. <laughs> and in the film, um, Pocahontas is a young adult. She's like around ten or eleven is when she how she is in reality. And then Smith is per- is portrayed as an amiable man. When in reality, he is described by having a harsh exterior by his fellow colonists. Which I'm thinking, okay, how did this, you know, 10, 11-year-old girl win the heart of this, like, harsh exterior guy? I kind of, like, would like to see that movie, too. I don't think Pocahontas and her were ever linked. It was always her and John Rolfe. But John Smith was kind of the bigger character in history that was more well-known. Yeah, I guess. Because she did... Once again, Wikipedia says that whether or not Pocahontas saved John Smith's life is debated. Um, An English colonist led by Samuel Argyll captured Pocahontas three years after John Smith departed from England. And then she was converted to Christianity and later married John Rolfe, who was known for introducing tobacco as a cash crop. So, Ah. you know, she was was rich at that point. (laughs) (laughs) But once again, she goes off to England, which she shouldn't have done and gets sick. So anyway, like the thing is that the filmmakers, because they didn't follow like actually what happened, Uh you know, specifically the people in the set, like the, the settlement people that they talked to, like they, they hired, they went on their research trip to Jamestown settlement and they even paid a consultant who was one of the granddaughters, like descendants of Pocahontas, Uh Shirley Little Dove Castle McGrawen. And they paid her $500 a day plus expenses to help. But then when she realized that, you know, history was not being a priority to them, that she just got so sad and she's like feels such shame that her name is even connected to it because they didn't follow anything that she wanted that she was putting out there. Right. And so it's like so because of things like that, it gets a lot of flack. And I mean, like you mentioned with Moana, like. I don't think we would have had such a a great experience with Moana culturally had they not had such a horrible experience with Pocahontas culturally. So they right, really wanted right. to make something like come come back and like let's I know that we've been known for being a jerk with other people's cultures, but this time we're going to do it okay, okay? Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> and they did, you know? Yeah. They did not repeat so, history here. <laughs> yeah. But all in all, like, critical response, this is going to be, out of all of the films in the Renaissance, this is the lowest rated. You look at on Rotten Tomatoes, and everything else is, like, 92%, and then Pocahontas is 56%. Like, Interesting. Kunk, like, oh. Yeah. And it took a while for, like, people to get it back up to, like, even the 80s. Where they're yeah, like, Pocahontas and, and Hunchback are by far the lowest. Uh-huh. Uh, if, if I mean, you it count, even beat out Rescuers Down Under, down under. <laughs> <laughs> which is like the forgotten Renaissance film. <laughs> right. <laughs> anyway. Good I times. Guess, okay. Good times. All right. Um, I'll rate it first. For me, 
I give it three out of five stars. I didn't like it much as a kid. And though I have a pre like a deeper appreciation for its artistry and technical advances and like the whole technical side as an adult, I'm still not the biggest fan. Like some songs are fine and good, but I don't like gravitate to the score or anything. The CD, I don't, I don't gravitate to it. It's not one that I'm like, Oh, I want to go listen to Pocahontas right now. Um, it doesn't have good replay value for me overall. The last time I watched this movie, it was just because it was like part of the very first group of Disney films that got put on Netflix. And I was over at a friend's house. And so they were just started playing it because, you know, why not? And it, so it was like playing in the background of a quote unquote hang, you know, and I just remember watching it with about 70% attention span. And that was fine. I was like, yeah, that's <laughs> about where I fall with this movie. So, so I'm going to give me. it four out of five stars. I personally really enjoy this film. I think it's good. It's not perfect, and it definitely there are other Renaissance films that are so much better and more enjoyable. But it does play have a special place in my heart. I was just very much obsessed with Disney at this time, and Pocahontas. I still had those Disney goggles on yeah. throughout this time and never took them off. You know, so you know. But looking at it now critically it's it's not a perfect film but i still enjoy myself as i'm watching it uh there are some some moments in the middle that get a bit slow it mostly you know the the scenes with the critters in the forest and whatnot but for the most part i'm really interested in all the characters and i think they have good motivations and it for the most part we're able to tell a pretty fun story. The songs, I think, are really good. Some of my favorite, and I love the score. And, yeah, so I'm just going to give it four out of five stars. Awesome. All right, so we're going to head on into our voicemail section. Our first voicemail is from Alex. Greetings from Germany. This is Alex calling in to give my review of Pocahontas. In my opinion, this is one of the weakest films of the Disney Renaissance, but I still think that it is significantly better than most people give credit for. I don't take issues with the historical inaccuracy or the decision to turn the relationship between John Smith and Pocahontas into a love story. What I do take issue with is the first half of the movie which in my opinion is quite dull and slow moving. However, things pick up in the second half, and I enjoy that quite a bit more. Probably my favorite aspect about this film is Governor Radcliffe. No, I don't think he is one of the best Disney villains, but he is funny when he needs to be, he is menacing when he needs to be, and... I think that David Ogden Steers gave a great performance. In addition, I love the songs in this film. Again, I don't think that they reach the heights of the songs in the other Disney Renaissance movies, but they're still very enjoyable. Overall, I give this film four stars out of five. Bye! Our next one is from Rose. This is her very first voicemail with us. Hi, my name is Rose. I'm leaving my voicemail for um, this week's episode, Pocahontas. Um, firstly, again, 
I'm sure I've sung my praises previously, but thank you very much again for the podcast. Really, really great listening. Um, yeah, really fascinating to hear your opinions about um, everything animation, even going really into into depth with um, sort of character designs and, and the way it's achieved. Um, so for this week's episode, um, I obviously, being a Disney nerd, I love Pocahontas, um, particularly the music, the story. Um, I could, you know, the story is not as good as the music I'd say like the music just is incredible especially the um instrumental farewell which is like seven eight minutes long and it's just so it just builds up and it sort of starts really starts really like mellow and then just gets louder and louder and gets more intense and then you have like the image of Pocahontas waving to John Smith and it's all like building up and it's just absolutely incredible piece of um music so Anna Menken of course is to thank for that so um that's what really stays in my head when I think of Pocahontas but yeah so um Thanks again for your podcast and take care. Bye. So our next one is from Bethany. She is a Rotonation member. Hi, Rotoscopers. This is Bethany calling in for a Pocahontas review. Oh, where do I start with this movie? So I was nine years old when this came out and had seen Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Lion King, and so was full in the Disney Renaissance. And this was the first movie Disney movie at least, that I remember going to the theater and walking out disappointed. So ever since then, I've had a real gripe against this movie and just pretty much hated it. So I saw that it was on Netflix a couple months ago and decided I'm going to watch this. Maybe as an adult, I'll feel differently and I'll have an appreciation for it. And I watched it again and pretty much nothing changed. So my opinion of this movie is that it feels like it's trying too hard all the time. I know this was a prestigious movie compared to The Lion King, at least when they were making it, and it feels like that's what they're trying to do. It feels like they were so excited about Beauty and the Beast being nominated for a Best Picture that they're like, we're going to make it happen again with Pocahontas, except it didn't get any of the charm. It didn't get any of just the fun that Beauty and the Beast had. I don't love the music. I find just around the riverbend, the most annoying Disney song in the entire canon. Um, I do enjoy Mine, 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 Colors of the Wind, whatever. It's fine. It's tolerable. Um, Watching it as an adult and they sing the Savages, Savages song was kind of like, whoa, this is is something. So I feel like one of the major major issues they have, other than – uh, just feeling like it's trying really hard is just this question of tone. It's like they were trying to make it serious, which I don't have a problem with, but it's like they couldn't figure, they couldn't commit completely. So we have to have, of course, Pocahontas has to have animal friends where hijinks ensue. And as a result, I felt like it just broke up the story and it had you switching back and forth between really serious themes and then switching back between these, like, silly animals doing things. And I just thought it was distracting and it wasn't moving the story ahead. Um, Yeah, I just really don't like this movie. And I still don't really like this movie. So, I mean, out of five, I'll give it a one and a half. half. Uh, I know some people are going to really disagree with me. The animation is beautiful. And my recommendation is just watch the movie on mute and you'll be a whole lot happier. 
Bye. Wow. So Bethany definitely is more on Team Chelsea for this one. Is not a, not a fan. One point five out fan. of five stars. I can't believe it. Wow. Watch the whole movie on mute. And you'll be a whole lot happier. That's that is definitely a tagline for sure. <laughs> and I disagree with. I really like the music, but I can definitely understand that point of view. Um, yeah. I mean, she was a lot more. She was a lot harsher on it than I, right. I was. Right. <laughs> I'm like, I gave it three. <laughs> Thanks, Bethany. All right, now also another Roto Nation member, Sol. Hello, Rotoscopers. This is Sol. Okay, Pocahontas. I just want to say this is such an underrated renaissance film you know everyone's like the lion king is gonna not be so big pocahontas is gonna be a huge success and then things didn't turn out that way but i must say still pocahontas is such a wonderful film i understand people's upset with because of the inaccuracy but if you change the title of the movie and change the name of the characters honestly it's a great story you know, first of all, for me, it's just the animation. Like, the, amaz- the animation moved me in so many ways. There were so many moments and frames that just left me speechless. It was wonderful. The way, you know, the character design and just the everything from the, the landscapes. The landscapes were... It reminded me a bit of um, Sleeping Beauty. It was different, and I really enjoyed that. I want to talk about the music. The music's absolutely wonderful in this film it's just so moving it makes you think it talks about so many relevant topics i mean this movie was made many years ago and you watch it and you literally you know they talk about things that are people are still talking about today that are really relevant and they make you think and i think the songs are absolutely they just have something so deep in it and so poetic and and wonderful and I think it's really, really great. Unfortunately, I must say the sequel was so unfortunate. You know, I don't want to spoil anything, but it's just, I feel like everyone has seen it. And if you don't, if you if you haven't seen the sequel, don't. You know, it's just such a horrible, you know, they build all this romance in the first one and destroy it. I think what's so interesting about Pocahontas is like in the Renaissance, everyone had a happy ending. And this movie was the first one to kind of not have a fully happy ending. I watched it recently and that last moment made me cry. It was just so beautiful but sad at the same time. So those are my thoughts. I know this is a very controversial film. I'm very excited to know what will you guys think about it. I just think it's beautiful in the animation. The story is great. You know, I know it has flaws. not a perfect film. But it has a lot to offer. And it's, I think, underrated. There was a song cut in Pocahontas called If I Ever Knew You. I was wondering what you guys think about it. I know it's on YouTube. And I listened to it. And I, you know, it's fully animated. Just that... They screen it and kids were like, I don't like this. <laughs> I don't like the singing for John Smith, to be honest. Not a huge fan of it, but I think it wasn't a terrible song. It was very sweet and nice. I just wish Pocahontas could sing, sing, sang more. Um, but yeah, I think it was a good decision to cut it out. But I don't know. I, I still would have liked a, a song between them too. A romantic song but maybe just different but i really like the moment and the animation it's really beautiful and yeah just curious to know your thoughts thank you so much for listening so we did talk about the if i ever if i never knew you 
part um, and just how we both thought it was good, but probably best to keep out. <laughs> One thing we didn't even talk about were like who was playing different people in this movie and, you know, talking about John Smith. I mean, he was Mel Gibson. That was a, right, a big I know. get. <laughs> like, well, Mel Gibson, like he did it in the Virginia Company song. Uh-huh. I felt like he did a good job with that one because it's not really like an acting song. Uh-huh. Like it's just a, hey, we're right. in the Virginia Company. But with this type of a song, If I Never Knew You, that is so acting. And it's so hard for somebody who hasn't done Broadway to really pull something like that off. And so I can under- also understand like why it didn't really come across as good because like it's it's hard <laughs> to sing with oh, the correct emotions and still make it sound effortless and still make it sound like an actual conversation and right. like it's hard and so for somebody who is a movie star who can quote unquote sing you get me started on these types of movies. Like you go into a whole lame is category and I'm like, Oh, there's so many things that I have wrong with this movie, <laughs> but <gasps> you don't like lame is I love lame is I watched it not too long ago, but there are certain characters that I felt were extremely miscast because they were going oh, for oh. namesake versus, okay, okay. I thought you were just talking about the movie in general. Oh, like, no, Chelsea, no, 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 no. I, think I, I love... have to break up with you right now because <laughs> we're breaking up. No, it's just because I felt like there's specific characters that they went specifically uh, for yes, name value yes, recognition yes, yes. over actual competency this person be, yeah. for singing. So, and that bothered me. So, and our lame is discussion is for another day. <laughs> exactly, but it, it it's related here. Guys, thanks for joining us for this episode of the Animation Addicts podcast. Of course, you can find all the show notes, links, and more at rotoscopers.com slash 168. Be sure to leave a comment with what your review would be. Are you more on Bethany's side where you're 1.5 out of 5? Or are you more Morgan, which is 4 out of 5? Or are you kind of in the middle with Chelsea? Let us know, and we will be in the comments checking that out. Our next episode is going to be Toy Story 3, so get ready for that one that is a patron pick we're excited to do that Ooh. so send in your voicemails rotoscopers.com slash voicemails or give us a call at 406-646-6575 of course you can support the show on patreon we also have an amazon link so if you need to do any of your spring shopping maybe you've done your spring cleaning and now you need to you have empty halls because you like me decided to get rid of all of your pocahontas dolls and other things and now you feel so sad that you need something to replace it so go to rotoscopers.com slash amazon to start all of your amazon shopping there of course you can subscribe to the show on itunes we appreciate it that you leave us a review it's one of the best ways that you can support the show we're also available on stitcher radio and spotify and basically anywhere good podcasts are found you can find us on social media. We're at Rotoscopers. I'm at Morgan Stradling, and Chelsea is at Chelsea Robson on Instagram, Twitter, and all the good, cool places. And until next time, we, we are, are the Rotoscopers. Rotoscopers.
trying to think of something clever to say. Um, it's not our forte. <laughs> <laughs>